Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford art historian, a broadcaster and a writer, but I'm also your chief investigator of images today. Double pleasure for me. Not only are we talking about one of my favourite objects, artworks, ever, but I'm with one of my favourite human beings in the world, oh, ever. <laughs> Frank, Frank Cottrell Boyce. So... You are amazing in so many ways. So true. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you are. I mean, listeners, you'll know him as an award-winning children's writer, wrote the incredible book Millions, and also film screenwriter. So your latest film is about to hit the screens, isn't it? What's it called? Goodbye, Christopher Robin. And I have seen posters for it all over the, the buses of London. Mm. This is real. This yeah, opened yesterday, yeah, yeah. didn't it? Well, the premiere was last night. It opens on the 29th of September. So. 29th of September. Yeah. And, and it's about... It's about... A Milne's relationship with his son, who really was called Christopher Robin, and who he inadvertently he inadvertently turned his son into this icon of childhood and made it very difficult for him to grow up. Yeah. So he became this kind of real life Peter Pan. Wow. So the whole film is exploring the boy and the father, I guess. And success and how sometimes we get we get the wrong kind of success and we trap other people in our success and mm. that's about it's about being a dad really in the end which you are well experienced I with. am a dad I am the daddy <laughs> you are multiple daddy aren't you yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how many have you got I've got seven seven this is impressive it stuff is cool. yeah. but also I think what I love about you Frank as well though, you you are completely committed to writing for children aren't yeah. you it means a lot to you yeah because that's I do remember having, reading books at a certain age and having my DNA changed by those books, particularly uh, Ursula Le Guin, The Wizard yes. of Earthsea. Yes. I remember reading The Wizard of Earthsea and thinking, oh, knowledge, knowing stuff is a power. Oh, yeah, I can you never know? be the same person yeah. again after and that. Yeah. It's like there's a section in that when Gerd has to sort of really get under the skin of knowing the names of things. Yeah. And it's it's just making swatting look magical yeah and it turned me into a swat i was off school sick and it, i'd never really been that big a student before but it, that book made me into a, I mean, everything about it i remember I remember the font mm -hmm. and the beautiful maps in the front and oh, everything yeah. about it God, i, I feel as though i've been to earthsea and it enchants the world then so mm -hmm. on our honeymoon we went to the western isles yeah and i'd, ne I'd never been outside northwest england really except to go to university uh, oh, Northwest Wales, North, North Wales, Northwest of England. Mm. And I'd never seen anything like an archipelago in real life. And the minute I saw it, I thought, I'm, I'm in Earthsea. Yeah. I am in Earthsea. Yeah. I'm in the Happy Isles. I'm in, you know, 
it, it is stuff. formative, isn't it? I mean, I yeah. think the books you read, I, I was um, thinking recently because I got asked some questions about what books impacted you most. And I remember the night I read Wuthering Heights. I remember wow. I stayed up all night. I was seven, which is so stupidly yeah, precocious. Yeah, that's young. But I cried and cried and cried when it was over because I wanted to go back and unread it so I could read it again yeah. and have the experiences yes. again. But yeah. like you say, it's formative. It changes yeah. your life. I was never the and, same and person. In a beautiful, like, what's beautiful, I think, is that if a children's book alerts you to the small pleasures, because it is in the end, it's the small pleasures that get you through the difficult times. And uh, the Moomin books for me, oh, yeah. the smell of coffee and pancakes. Um, I'm in the Moomin house when I smell. So those things that are quite ordinary become magical because they take you to these other worlds. Yeah. Wardrobes, come on. I know. Wardrobes. You know every wardrobe you've ever looked at feels a little bit mysterious. <laughs> I still stay in old buildings and I'm like, I wonder, I'll just look. Yeah, just check. <laughs> just in case. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I mean, it's, it's magic. And... Um, actually, the artwork we're talking about today, for me, is magical. I remember hearing about it for the first time when I was a first-year undergraduate. And again, I think my life was changed by learning about this object. And, and it's the way it collapses literature and visuals in a way that I think so few things do. It's just at the crossing point of so many... Th- well, so many ancient monuments are silenced. Oh, and we have to kind of think what they might have meant to say. And this is speaking to you so clearly and it knows what it wants to say and it knows what, and it, it's so eloquent and it speaks to you, it literally speaks to you because it has, it's a cross and it has inscribed on it the dream of the rude, which is the first poem in English or what we yeah. think of as English. But that is a poem in which the cross speaks and here's a cross and it's speaking this poem to you. I mean, it's, amazing it's a kind of multimedia thing it is like something out of Kubrick or Doctor Who or something like that it's, 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 so it we're feels talking, alive when you see it it does it, it does. feels like it's buzzing with energy we should tell the listeners what we're talking about <laughs> oh god sorry <laughs> we're talking about the Ruddle Cross now this is an early 8th century cross it was destroyed during the Reformation and the slabs were buried really in the gra- in the um, graveyard outside this tiny little church, tiny church, just on the border of Scotland. Um, and then it was reconstructed by a sympathetic vicar yeah. in the 19th century. And it is the most extraordinary early medieval object anywhere, in my opinion. It's, yeah. it is, I think it's possibly one of the reasons I became a medievalist, the Rathal Cross. I mean, what's immediately glamorous about it is that the poem is in runes. It's not in, you know, it's not like it's in runic letters. So it's sort of got a face towards the Viking world. And it's the poem, the Dream of the Rude is by Cadman, which has got this sort of, so it's got this amazing provenance, the poem itself, that he dreamed it and Hilda, Hilda of Whitby is in the mix there because mm. she's the one who said to him, because he was illiterate and she had it written down and, and then it's written down on this amazing cross, you know, so it's it's so rich and it's coming from so many directions at you. And you've been to visit it, haven't you? I've been to visit it maybe 30 or 40 times. Have you been that many yeah. times? See, I haven't even got a patch on you. I've been about 10. I that's can't impressive, get over it. <laughs> Well, first of all, I have to say, we spend a lot of time in Dumfries and Galloway and that tiny church with that across it, that is Dumfries and Galloway's premier indoor attraction. <laughs> That and Morrison's, that's it. You know, if it's raining, that's where you're going. But it does repay a lot of visits because it's so dense and it's so detailed and it's got these panels on it that tell not the whole life of Christ, but these key moments from the life of Christ in a, in a particular way. 
So there's the washing of, and I want, do you know one thing I love about it? That the quality of workmanship is so various. So there's like, there's um, Mary Magdalene washing Jesus' feet or anointing his feet. And the figure of Jesus is just gorgeous. It's so brilliantly carved. And the figure of Mary Magdalene is completely carved. <laughs> She's got this massive hand. Yeah. She's like some kind of like smurf or something like that. And he's like this Viking lord yeah. with flowing locks and everything. So like obviously two people that are, yeah, are very off date. Or... Well, I think actually, well, again, I mean, the reason that these sorts of crosses are so fascinating to look at is because we're only looking at the skeleton. Yeah. Because what would have been on top would have been, you know, plaster and then a whole host of colour and gold and jewels. Oh, see, I didn't know this. Yeah, this is a joint learning experience, yeah. Right. But yeah, so so while he is deeply carved and he's got his triple cruciform halo, right. um, she's quite superficially carved, but she probably would have been painted up really beautifully. And the big hand is a, it's a thing I'm passionate about in Anglo-Saxon art. They use big enlarged hands to signal so they make hands look bigger ah. because they're pointing or gesturing or indicating. It's like sign language. Or, or like a note in the margin. Exactly. So her big hand is showing that she's wiping his feet with her hair. That's amazing. So they've made it particularly large to emphasise that, that act of So it's really, that's what I mean, it's speaking to you, isn't totally. it? It's, it's completely passionate about making a contact with you. It's not... It's not self-regarding. It's not saying, look at me. It's saying, listen to this. It is. All the time. And so, I mean, this is the fascinating thing from your point of view, I guess, as a writer. And I studied English literature, which is how I came to the Royal Cross. I would never have gone into art history. I was going to be you know, doing literature all the way through. But it was this idea that it's got that wonderful rhetorical device, prosopopoeia, yes. which is the inanimate object that speaking, yeah. which is such an old English trope, isn't it? I mean, yeah. they use it all the time, yes. don't they? Well, I mean, it, and it's the riddle book, isn't it? Exactly. In, in, a, in a riddle book, we call it riddles, but in a riddle book, it's an onion talking or a key talking. I'm just, I picked out the rude ones. You did, didn't you? You had to the onion, which is the sexy one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's but the one all the undergraduates are going, oh, an onion. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, they are. The riddles are all speaking. And yeah. they're, they're like, I'm a book. I am a, yeah. you know, I am an onion. Yeah, I'm an onion. <laughs> Say what I am. Yeah. But it's that mindset that I love about the Anglo-Saxons. They they can sort of balance out the real and the fantastical and the imagined simultaneously. Yeah. One doesn't exclude the other. Yes, yes, yes. yes. And this is an inanimate object, but it is speaking to you. Exactly. And it's the, and the cross is speaking. And, and that's the Dream of the Rude takes that idea of something, an inanimate object speaking to a completely different level. I mean, it's so it's such an amazing poem. Do you describe for the listeners what happens in the Dream of the Rude? It is well, the most extraordinary. The Dream of the Rude is the cross, Jesus' cross, speaking uh, as the, as he's taken up to the crucifixion. So it, the sh he's sharing the suffering and he's saying, I'm bedabbled with blood and uh, I must be brave and I'm a warrior and I've got to fight, you know, for heaven and all this stuff. And it's like, it's very, it's epic and it's it's incredibly emotional, but it's a piece of wood talking. Yeah. I mean, it's I it's such a, and there's a, there's a big thing in Christian tradition of trying to imagine yourself into nativity stories or into passion stories and be an onlooker. And that's like still a big part of Jesuit spirituality. But that's the ultimate one, that it's, it's a piece of wood. It's, it's the most extraordinary poem because actually, in a funny sort of way, it gets around this really knotty theological problem of... Christ as victor over yes. the devil over sin 
and cries does suffering yeah. and weak. Yeah. And what the Dream of the Reed poem does, which no one else has thought to do, is to separate out those two identities. Keep Christ as the triumphant warrior who leaps on the cross, doesn't he? Yes. He, says, yeah, he runs he to runs it. He runs to it and yeah. leaps up. And he's celebrated like Beowulf at the end. Yes, they pull him yeah. down, they stand around his head like yeah. a, you know, like a warrior. And then the pain, the dolorism, the grief of the crucifixion is left on the wood. Left on the, wood. the cross That's takes so the pain. Brilliant. And the cross says, I am pierced with wounds. I mm. am in sorrow. He is triumphant. Yeah. So clever. Yeah, it's brilliant. And yet, you know, on top of all of that, it's just a blooming good bit of poetry, Oh, isn't it's it? just an amazing read. It's just a wonderful... And what I love as well is that it kind of connects everything to nature. So you have that, the, the cross itself is covered in kind of vines and curlicues and, and the animals on it are so great. Like, like in any, like in a medieval illuminated, illuminated manuscript, it has these like squirrely lizardy things all over it. And, and in the, there's, in one of the scenes, it's the casting out of the gathering wine. Yeah. And Jesus is shown standing on the pigs, and it's this like really strange, epic. And the pigs are brilliant in this picture. They, are. they look up and they cross their little hooves over, don't yeah. they? Yeah. And it's it's so. Um, I mean, the way that that nature is brought in, I think, is really important, and also the way that women are brought in. Yes, because there's a lot of women. A lot on of the women. Cross. A lot of women. And I mean, tell again, say for the people listening, it's big, isn't it? What sort of scale it's, is it? It's, I'm, well, it's, it's well, when you see it in the church, it's very intimidating, but it's actually standing in a well. Uh-huh. So it, it must be like 12 feet I tall. I think it is. Like I think that. it's about 12 feet tall. And it's been reconstructed. And uh, whoever reconstructed it put in the cross arm. Yeah. Because that's the bit that's been lost. Yeah. And they've put in weird symbols like a triangle and a whale yeah, 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 and a yeah, yeah, dragon, yeah. which aren't Anglo-Saxon. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Get up to 30% off wedding jewelry at BlueNile.com and remember the joy of your wedding day forever. Blue Nile offers everything from diamond and lab-grown diamond wedding bands to classic pearls, earrings you can design yourself, even gorgeous sapphire pieces for your something blue. Whatever you choose, Blue Nile's pieces are all graded for excellence for a lasting memento as brilliant as the love that inspired it. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Okay, so we were talking about where the cross is. Tell me a bit about that. Yeah, because you said earlier that it was put together again by a sympathetic clergyman, but he's so much more than that. Henry Duncan, who was the vicar, is it vicar? Minister, anyway, of Ruthel in the 1820s, was one of those 
British clergymen who were real polymaths and really cared about their parishioners and really brought learning and excitement to the parishes that they lived in. People like Gilbert White, but he's really special. So, for instance, I, there's an eccentric side to him, or he was a great, he was a really good paleontologist. Mm. He discovered, he unearthed, or he didn't unearth himself. I think he was responsible for kind of salvaging the first, I think it's the first quadruped fossil footprints that were found in Britain. No. Which were found in the Corncockle Quarry, which is not far away. And he brought them to the vicarage and he asked, to the manse, sorry. And he asked Frank Buckland, who was this very eccentric Oxford zoologist, to come up and explain them to the workmen from the quarry who had found it, which is just, isn't that amazing that he did that? And this fantastic scene then in the manse where uh, Buckland covered the table in dough (laughs) and made a mock-up of the fossil footprints and then articulated them so that they could see how big the legs must have been to make this stride. Gosh. And kind of inspire them with the idea of what, I can't even remember what it was, like an iguanodon or something like that, but so that they would see the scale of what this creature had been. So it's amazing. And this is all going on in and around rubble. I mean, yeah, and with this tw- it's 20 cottages. You've got clackens, yeah. little white clackens. There's 20, maybe a few more than that. It's very, very, it's not, when you say it's a village, it's not like an English village with a tithe barn and all that stuff. It's got nothing really there apart and the from church the church. Is, and yeah. the church is off to one side it of it is. as well. It's not that close and... Um, well, and he saw the there was a great poverty there, obviously, and he started the very first savings bank. No. He taught them the, the same guy, the vicar, the same guy, the very very first savings bank in the world, which became the tra- the trustee savings bank. And they all put in, and he invested in Dumfries. And they all got a little return. And there's, you can go to Ruthall. There's a little tiny tiny museum where you can see the little tin that the money was put in, and That's amazing. Crazy. He started a newspaper and. He restored the Rothel Cross. And he, he even then, in the 1820s, it was still too controversial mm. to put it in the church. Obviously, to put it in the church, even logistically, was difficult. But even in the church grounds. So it's not. it wasn't put up in the churchyard. It was put up in the manse garden Gosh. so that the Church of Scotland elders couldn't say anything about it. It was just on private property. He said something like, uh, it's of no more significance than a sundial. Because he wanted it there, you know, and you could see that it was an extraordinary object. And he was he, an antiquarian in that way. See, he, I knew he was none everything. Of this. He was an antiquarian. Yeah. He was an economist. He was a journalist. He was a priest. You know, amazing. And what he did by by sort of getting these things out of the ground is brilliant for me as an art historian because. Um, you know, the idea that they were three quarters submerged in soil means they're so well protected. Yes. And it means that, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I used to go on these amazing trails when I was in York um, on the search of Anglo-Saxon sculpture. And these things, these crosses, these stone sculptures, they were all over the landscape in the north of England. But it's an amazing treasure trail. So I used to get my corpus of Anglo-Saxon stone sculpture and hunt out these blocks they're right. just in people's rockeries. Oh, okay. They're just dotted around churchyards. Right. And they, these are Anglo-Saxon stones that have been pulled down or destroyed or and re, removed. And repurposed. And repurposed. But he, he obviously knew what this was supposed to be. And it's actually the only complete intact one. Yeah. Um, there's, there's and oddly, it's because it was controversial that it's been saved. Right. If it, if it hadn't had that kind of aura of papery, po- popery and satanism around it <laughs> they wouldn't have buried it would they they just put it into a sheepfold or something yeah like absolutely that. we used a big useful lump of stone and i mean i think they, they're um they're quite odd objects anyway these crosses because 
they're poised on this moment of such great ideological change. Mm. Um, I mean, this is, this is we're probably saying, what, 720-ish? Yeah. Early 8th century. Yeah. But we think about Roman Christianity coming about 597 uh-huh. with Augustine into Thanet. And yet that's a long and slow process. It starts off with converting the top echelons of society. And isn't it rubbing up against Celtic Christianity here as well? Totally, totally. We are in this hotbed in the north of England where over from Ireland via Iona over to Lindisfarne, you've got the Celtic Christianity. And then sweeping up from the south, you've got Roman Christianity. Two different dates for Easter. and Two different days for Easter, two different hairstyles. Two different hairstyles. <laughs> they dress differently. And two different views of women. And, Definitely. You know, and nature. And of nature. The relationship with nature. Yeah. That is absolute, and central, I think, to what we're looking at here. Because this is a cross that's talking. Yeah. It's a piece of wood that's talking. It's a piece of wood that's talking. And immediately you're saying that, I'm thinking about Columkill and Columba and how it's all, you know, the dove. I am the dove. You know, I live on a rock. Derry of the ash he said that every did he say every every leaf of every oak tree in Derry has a little angel oh you know that you know. amazing yeah and even Cuthbert you know being brought treats by the otters and yeah <laughs> well yeah I, was, I love that about those guys they just walked and walked and walked and if there was no one listening they just talked to seals absolutely yeah, hang out with the birds <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but they, they, that's I mean, there's so many kind of fundamental reasons for why the two types of Christianity are different but primarily because Romans never got to Ireland. Ireland evolved differently. It didn't have its cities. Yeah, it that's what it roads. comes down to, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so it kind of maintains this tribal... Well, and Ruffle is only a little drive from Ninian's Cave, which is, you know, so the, long before Augustine, you had Ninian landing in it, like 320. Oh, absolutely. crazy day, you know. Yeah. And when you go, and every year there's a mass in that cave at the end of the summer. I know, and, I know, because you were torn, weren't you? Between oh, yeah, that's right. That, you go to this, they're on the same day. <laughs> What, what are you talking about? You know, <laughs> Just uh, to confuse you, yeah, yeah. I will see the Russell Cross. But I always go to that mass and it's like, it's very, that Anglo-Saxon idea of voyage and wanderer is so strong there because it's a big shingle beach with a little tiny, and you can see the Isle of Man and you can see Ireland and this perilous sea. Mm. You know, again, it's in Columbia, isn't it? That like, I'll just go. Yeah. We, We'll get in a boat, we'll go, and when we can't see Ireland, we'll stop. You yeah, know? and, you know, if we wash up on a pagan shore and all get massacred, That's then at least is. we tried. Yeah. <laughs> if we come across the Loch Ness Monster, we'll deal with it. Yeah. You know? they're amazing. They're so, and, and it is, I mean, I, I, people often laugh about things like Cinder Whitby and the, the Romans and, Cath- and, and Celtic Church. They can't mean that different, can they? But actually, mm. they were really yeah, I mean, quite different. Well, quite and physically, different I mean, like, you know, you were talking about this big change and how Anglo-Saxon culture you know or Christianity appropriates things from Anglo-Saxon you know there's an exchange of ideas I mean it's such a short voyage from Ireland and where, where Ruthwell is is it's it's a very very short distance from uh, Witton mm-hmm. which is where Ninian landed in I think 320 like crazy crazy early so that idea of those guys who set out mm-hmm. from Derry this this scholar, after the battle of the books mm. you know Fighting over a book. Fighting over a book, fighting over copyright. Yes. Um, Earliest ever example of copyright infringement. To every book it's copy. To every cow it's calf, to every book it's copy. Exactly. And so Columbus lost that and uh, there was the battle of the books and as an act of repentance he went out. That image of like life on earth being uh, perilous and ungovernable, which like a sea voyage is such a powerful image in 
and it's so in early Christianity, but it's so obviously informed by Viking lifestyle yeah. and about you know if you want to get anywhere, you have to get in a boat. Just get in a boat, get in a boat, get in a boat, and that's what they're doing. And that's like the whole image of um, that central image of Celtic Christianity is so powerful to me. That yeah. the idea that you're just in a boat and you have to trust the wind, and wherever it lands you, that is where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be there. And just get on with it. Yeah, and it's often. And if it's a rock. Talk to the seals. Totally. Yeah. There's always something to keep company. But if, if it's if it's in Northumberland, why don't you just go and convert the king? Yeah. You know? That's the way it is. I love it when um, when the Irish monks start arriving along the pagan um coasts of Germany, of Saxony, and they keep going out in groups of twelve. Yeah. <laughs> twelve of them in a kurak, this yeah. sort of canoe thing. Yeah. And they just keep rocking up on the beaches and getting slaughtered because they yeah. keep turning up going, hey, have you guys heard about God? No, you're dead. But they kept oh, going. Yeah, they didn't give did. up. But I, I think voyaging is amazing. And also this idea of a journey in, in Old English poetry. The Wanderer oh. is the big Old English poem. So I guess you, you've enjoyed reading The Wanderer. Yeah, I love The Wanderer and... the. I, I love the wonder for exactly that reason about, you know, that you just keep going and you trust that the journey, the journey is meaningful in itself, wherever it's going to land you. Yeah. And it's, it, I love the way it sucks all those. See, is he right saying it's appropriate? Of course, it's like, no, it's like they've managed to sort of take the light of Christianity and shine it on their lives as it's lived right. and find meaning in it from them. So the mead hall becomes a great, and there's that wonderful image of the sparrow coming in from the storm and flying through the meat hole and out again. I mean, these are very, the par, you know, the parables themselves from the Gospels are about farming yes. in the Middle East. <laughs> and so they just, they took that idea that it's about your ordinary life. Yeah. So it's like, it's about, you know, Christianity is about Akura. It's about being killed by people who just ship up on your shore and chop you up. What are you going to do about it? You know, and it, it's about life, you know, and it's, that's, it's so full of the texture of ordinary life. I think that's what's so fascinating about the Ruddle Cross and the Dream of the Rude, the, the poem that's inscribed on the sides of it. It is adaptation. It's yes. not that they're blindly just saying, yeah, we'll absorb everything that's coming into us from Rome, from Christianity. They're saying, well, actually, we've got a culture and a, yes. and a literature and an identity that goes back hundreds of years that we're really proud of. Yeah. So let's see how we can fit that yeah. in with these new Christian ideas. Yeah. And, I mean, I think The Dream of the Rude is, is one of the most extraordinary, heroic poems. Yeah. Because, you know, instead of showing, Christianity is a bit of a, a dodgy religion for the for the Anglo-Saxons, the Scandinavians, because their main god is quite weak and he dies yes, voluntarily. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's not what gods do in their world. No, it's what's completely astonishing. You yeah. Know, you get a god who dies. Voluntarily. Yeah. yeah. And so they kind of a hero death him as well. Yeah. Not, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not even a nice yeah. yeah, a criminal's death. Yeah. But then they take this poem and they say, No, we're gonna turn him into a hero, don't yes. they? Yeah, yeah. I am gonna I want you to read some. Okay. Go on. We're not talking about the, the it's the war. You know, because that I was just thinking as you were talking about Cahollan tying himself yeah. to a pillar and fighting to the last, and that's how the cross is in this. This is what the hero is tied to. Yeah, absolutely. As he fights the last. And he sort of jumps up willingly, doesn't he? Go on, you've got to so this is the cross speaking uh, about Christ. Was both they basely mocked and handled? Was I there with blood bedabbled, gushing grievous from his dear side, when his ghost he had uprendered? Christ was on rude tree, but fast from afar, his friends hurried, 
to aid their affling, everything I saw. Sorely was I with sorrows harrowed, yet humbly I inclined to the hands of his servants, striving with might to aid him. With streels was I wounded, down they laid him, limb weary, o'er his lifeless head then stood they, heavily gazing at heaven's chieftain. Oh, so rich. I mean, already in there, we've got Athlone, Chieftain. Chieftain, yeah. These are, what's, when I do it in Old English with my students, I make them look at the exact words that are carved because they're not biblical words. They translate as Lord, Prince of Heaven, but actually they're legal terms. They're actually yeah. the sorts of words you would use for the Lord of the Manor, yes. the Knight of the Realm. Yes. yeah. And they've just mashed it up yeah. and come up with something so completely original. But they've got to an emotional truth of it because they're, they're the words that command, you know, that speak of loyalty and yeah. love and gratitude and protection. Yeah. You know, they're not aggrandizing. They're, they're trying to find what the emotional connection is. I think it's odd, isn't it? Because um, the, the whole idea of, I've just been making a program about the Reformation and Tyndale's Bible. Right. And the idea of translating the Bible into English is so controversial to put, yeah. to put, the sacred text into the vernacular yeah it takes hundreds and hundreds of years for that to happen but what you've got with the dream of the rude like in the eighth century is an attempt in the english tongue in runes yes to tell the story of the passion the story of the gospels yeah in a way that no one's ever told it before exactly and it's completely new isn't it yes it is completely new, but it's also very like the Gospels. Yeah. You know, because that guy telling those stories obviously knew about farming. And the guy <laughs> who wrote the Dream of the Rude bloody knew about wood. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it is that thing as well. I love the idea that um, it's never one answer. So, so the, the rude tree, which it says in there, this is the idea, isn't it, of this... There's, a, there's an old tradition in Christian art of the skull of Adam being underneath the hill of Calvary. Yes. And then the cross, the wood used for the cross, being the tree that grew out of that skull. And the idea of a living root, a living tree, becomes quite powerful in Christian art. But there they've kind of said, it's still a living tree because it's got a voice. Yeah. And the tree imagery, the tree, it comes up the sides, doesn't it? Yeah. Because what have we got on the sides of the cross? All those vines and branches and... Yes, yeah. and all the animals the embedded animals, in the it. Lizardy things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like a living tree as well. Yeah, isn't and it's it? the world tree, isn't it? It's, it's it, as well. You know? Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. They're sort of bringing it all together. Yeah. I mean, I think I really hope that the listeners have got a sense of how much we love this object because you'll never know how much I love this object. <laughs> I, I think it's the best physical object in Britain. <laughs> I have to agree with you. It, uh, to me, it's a life changer. It's it's, uh, it's a complete um, for for somebody that well for both of us. We love language. We love words. We love literature, yeah. and we love these sorts of visual um, gu gu guides to what we're looking thinking about. Yeah. It's a cross that talks. Yeah, I mean that's I mean, awesome. We're, we're talking after the, the morning after that's why I'm a bit groggy. The <laughs> premiere of my film, and in film, you use light. And you use words and you use darkness to tell a story. And when you go to that cross, it's it's words, it's images, and it's light because it does change throughout the day, you know. And if we think about it, how it would have been seen at the time. I mean, also, one of the things we did, we're not quite sure about with these crosses, but yeah, they were plastered, yeah, they were painted. But there's even suggestions that they might have had candles attached on the outside, oh, right, okay. jewels in the eyes. Oh, wow. So again, imagine that sort of cinematic yeah, thing yeah, of yeah. the flickering flames. And when you, I mean, if you're around that, I mean, I love that area, but 
it's very one colour. Yeah. And to come across something that's sort of flickering in gold in that context, yeah. it's big, wide mud flats and green fields and mm. not much else, you know. Um, so it must have been really kind of punched through. Yeah. Well, that's why I like to think of them a little bit like advertising billboards because yeah. they're bright, they're breaking up the monotony, but they're also, you know, they're saying something that matters at the time. This is the big new thing. Christianity yeah. is here. Yeah. And, um, you know, these are the big messages you can get but saved. But also, I, they <laughs> create spaces, don't they? You yeah. know, I live, um, I mean, one of the things we could have talked about is I live on the beach of Crosby where those Anthony Gormley statues are which was, was an, em, an empty space and now it's got 100 statues and that seems to kind of redefine the space. But if you go to Russell, Solway Firth, it's flat, yeah. it's muddy, and then suddenly there's this big object in the middle of it. And it, completely, it it's a man-made landmark. Yeah. And it completely, that, that would have defined that area very, mm. very clearly, I think. But even the material it's made out of stone as well, this idea that, Everybody is living in timber. Everybody is building in wattle and daub. And the ground is in flux. You know, it's mud. It's completely changing. It's it, it's it's a very very unstable environment. It's wetlands. It's called Merse. Yeah. Um, and as this is a very solid, unchanging object. And, and the idea that it's defying time. It's just standing there, and yeah. and it's still there yeah, now. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's this thing that has defied time yeah. because. And, and the message is still defined. Yeah, so, it's I mean, I just think it's the most extraordinary thing. Um, Arts Detective listeners, I hope you will, if you can, get to Ruddle and yeah, see you it. Yeah, go. Because it's just too, it's too much to almost describe, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. And you have to go knock on the door and borrow the key and get in. You do, yeah. you do. It's lovely. It's a little adventure. Yeah. But if you can't get to it, there are casts of it in the V&A. Um, yeah. It's not the same as seeing no. it. But you get a sense of the scale. Yeah. Um, what a pleasure to talk no, no, to you. you. I can't imagine anyone in the world I'd l- <laughs> rather spend time with talking about one of my favourite things in the world. Thank so thank you, Frank. And um, if you want to follow me on Twitter or subscribe to the podcast, do so. Uh, you can, sub- can subscribe by going to historyhit.com slash artdetective. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Dr. Yanina Ramirez. You're on Twitter too, aren't you, Frank? I am, Frank. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter as Frank Gottschall. <laughs> You'll find me. I'll link yeah. through. But yeah, you're great on Twitter. Well, <laughs> you're good to follow. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Loads of exciting art detectives coming up. Do subscribe, stay tuned, and thank you, Frank, for a wonderful time. Thank you. Hi, this is Paige from Giggly Squad, and I want to talk to you about Splash Refresher and my water intake. Okay, so you guys obviously know that I'm a hydrated girly, but sometimes when you drink that much water, it starts to just taste bland, and you're just like, I need something to spice it up. That's why I love Splash Refresher. It has zero sugar, zero calories, and it's a splash of sweetness, and they come in five different flavors. They're so good wild berry acai grape pineapple mango lemon and mandarin orange my favorite is the wild berry because i just i just love a berry so if you're like me and you're drinking water all day then try splash refresher it's going to absolutely change your water game and it's good for you acast powers the world's best podcasts here's a show that we recommend 
The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com <laughs> 